Okay, don't be afraid. The book of Revelation is not designed to scare you. It's designed to give you hope. It's all about hope. It's all about discipleship. But most importantly, it is all about Jesus Christ. So we are so excited to offer these sermons on the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoy them. My friends, I'm so excited to be with you today. My husband Mike and I have been in Colorado and we've been on vacation and I am, I'm just so happy to report to you the aspen are turning. The, the oranges and the yellows and the reds are so beautiful and so vibrant and they remind us of God's mighty hand at work in his creation. October is very special to me as well because this is the anniversary of my ordination. We did that over in the fellowship hall. Do you remember we used to worship in the fellowship hall? We've come so far. And over this year, one of the things that you have commented to me on is that you've heard me, you've gotten used to my saying, let us go boldly to the throne of grace. And I'm so glad that you're listening. But at the same time, I I wonder, what, what you may not know is that when I say that to you, my mind is filled with God's amazing, awesome throne. I can see him, I can see this hand. There's like this God sized hand that's reaching down and it's beckoning us to him. It's calling us to him. It's calling us to receive grace and tenderness and mercy. Can you envision that in your mind's eye? My my strong hope for you is that every time now that you hear me say, let us go boldly to the throne of grace, that you will remember what we discussed today in this sermon from Revelation four and five of the throne room and the worship. Now, God has blessed every one of us with remarkable minds. He has crafted in us the ability to be creative, to be resourceful, to be imaginative. And in our imagination, we can view ideas and images, concepts, of things that are not physically in front of us for our senses to process. Your mind is so sophisticated that you can imagine a sound. You can imagine a physical sensation. You can imagine a taste. You can imagine emotion or a mental image. We use our imagination when we explain how anyone can come to this corner and find first press. We use our imagination when we listen to a story like Beth did just now. When we describe an object, when we read a book, or when we're hearing a song. One of the most brilliant minds of our time, Albert Einstein, once said that imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited, but imagination circles the entire world. So as we proceed today with the throne room in Revelation chapters four and five, 
Use your imagination. While the grand throne is not physically right in front of us, use your senses to imagine it. And I pray the text will inspire you. I'm gonna pick up where Chad left off in chapter four, all the way through chapter five. And as I do that, experience this grand vision. For some of you, that may mean to close your eyes. And that's okay, I will know that you are not asleep. (laughs) But you are envisioning in your mind the words that you are hearing. When you let yourself go, when you let yourself imagine, you can embrace the mystery and the awe and the wonder of this passage. You'll see this luxurious throne and the majestic one who is on it and the glorious act of worship. So as Chad read, the four living creatures, the lion, the ox, the human, and the eagle, they sing continually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and who was and who is to come. So I'd like to begin now at verse nine and read on through for you. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are God Almighty. You are the one who created us and who continually fills us. Give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, Fill our imaginations wildly in this time that we would go from this place with a beautiful encounter with your luxurious throne, your glorious worship. Thank you that we get to be a part of that worship. Thank you for sending us the Savior. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen. So the revelation of Jesus Christ alternates between scenes on earth and scenes in heaven. And this apocalypse opened with this glorious view of the exalted son of man in the heavens. And then we encountered the earthly scene of the churches, the seven churches, and Jesus' letters to them. And now through them, we return to the heavenly court and this incredibly beautiful scene of worship. In Revelation chapter four, we see and hear about the worship of God, our creator. And in chapter five, we hear and imagine the Christ being worshiped as the redeemer. And from these two scenes, most of the action for the rest of Revelation comes forth. And here, John is invited to come into God's very presence, to gaze upon the many acts of worship. And he shares with us what is incredibly revealed to him. Together, these two chapters constitute visions of heaven that sharpen our vision of earth. They teach us, they remind us about God, about Jesus, about this crazy, incredible love that God has for us. It's extended to us if we will receive it. So from the rocky pile of Patmos, 
John sees the dimension of heaven so close at hand. What does he see? He sees a throne. He sees a supreme headquarters, the center of the universe, the seat of all authority and power. So let me share with you some perspectives about the throne. John is struck by what is on the throne and by what comes from the throne, by what is behind it, before it, and all around it. I invite you to use your imagination to see and hear and feel the revelation in this vision. Consider each of these views. So first, on the throne is our perspective. On the throne sits the one who created the world and all that is in it. We can take heart that the throne is not empty, it's not abandoned, God has not vanished. The throne is occupied. That alone must have lifted John's heart when things were getting so tough and the grip from Rome was growing tighter and tighter on them. John describes the one seated on the throne as being like jewel stones, the jasper and the ruby. One stone, the jasper, has a quality about it of translucence. It's like glass, but it's colored. And in one way it reveals and in another way it conceals. The other stone ranges in colors from red and yellow and green. And these images, this brilliance, it suggests to us beauty, majesty, radiance. It's completely dazzling and altogether lovely. The Lord God Almighty who is present on the throne indeed has all might, all power, all strength. There's never a moment where God stands up and has to defend his position. His command requires no movement, not even by his hand, not even by one finger. By virtue of sitting on the throne, creator God pulsates radiant brilliance, infinite calm, and absolute power. By our second perspective, what do we notice coming from the throne? There are flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. It is truly formidable to imagine the throne emitting this power. And yet, do you remember Chad telling us that there is nothing in Revelation that's new, nothing that wasn't already present in the Bible? So when we know that, do you recall Mount Sinai? Do you remember Moses? Thousands of years before this scene, God called Moses up on the mountain. And Exodus 19 tells us that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a great cloud and a very loud trumpet. 
and the mountain was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. The whole mountain quaked violently. Wow. When we trace the use of grand imagery like this through the Bible, we see the declaration of how awesome, how powerful, how holy God really is. And this imagery declares God's right to rule, God's ability to overcome evil. In Revelation, flashes of lightning, the rumblings, the peals of thunder, we're gonna see and hear and feel those again. And every time this is reminding us that we are dealing with the awesome one God. He is massively more powerful than anything we face on earth. And this active and vivid imagery from the throne, that's why we have to pay attention. It's why we cannot become complacent. It's why we cannot take God for granted. Next, envision John's perspective of what is positioned behind the throne. It's a rainbow. And again, where have we seen God use this colorful imagery before? God said that the rainbow is a sign of the covenant that he made with us and with every living creature for all generations to come. Genesis 9 tells us, Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. So this symbol behind the throne brings to mind our creator God's great compassion and his faithfulness to us. The all-powerful, awe-inspiring God simultaneously calls us to himself to receive his tender mercy and compassion. From the fourth perspective, let's view what's in front of the throne. John tells us that there are seven lamps of fire burning. And the light symbolizes for us the purifying consequences and the healing results of being in God's presence. Now, John has written before about the light. John wrote in the prologue of the gospel, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in his epistle, in the first John, he writes, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. So in the light in front of the throne, everything is illuminated, everything is revealed. God is completely there, he's completely available. And when we approach this grand center of the universe, Everything is open, above board, clear, clean. There's no deceit, there's no distrust, there are no games, there's no double speak, there's no manipulation. What a relief to experience the light, the honesty, and the splendor 
of the throne room. Finally, envision John's perspective looking all around the throne. The living creatures and the elders surround the throne. The 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New Testament, humankind. Now in your mind's eye, see and hear what the 24 are doing. Robed in white, the elders come off of their own thrones and they cast their golden crowns before the Almighty's throne. They take all that they are, all that they have, all that they've achieved, and they lay everything down before the throne of the universe. The elders recognize that life flows from and returns to and revolves around the seat of all power and authority. Now, we are a worshiping people. We are created to worship something. Who or what will receive that praise and honor and glory? We worship with our mouths, our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. We worship with our words. We worship with our deeds. We give all of that to something or someone. And John sees the elders giving all of that to the one who sits on the throne. They proclaim that God alone is worthy to receive worship. He alone deserves our full attention, our energy, our focus, our songs. No one else created us. No one else sustains us. You know, in my imagination, I see the day when I go to heaven, when I meet God. There are a lot of topics to discuss. I have a list. Why are there mosquitoes? Why do they think I'm dinner? Why are our friends in Louisiana hit again and again this year? Why? You know, I even kind of think sometimes on earth I've got my hands on my hips asking God all these questions. And yet I read and I envision how incredible his throne is. How glorious this worship is. I can see the elders releasing their crowns and throwing them to the foot of the throne. And I imagine that I'm gonna be face on the floor in awe and wonder. We're told in chapter five that the one on the throne holds in his right hand the scroll sealed with the seven seals and that John weeps because no one is worthy to open it. And one of the 24 elders reveals that it's the Lion of Judah. It's the Root of David who has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. So in your mind's eye, can you see a lamb looking as if it had been slain? standing at the center of the throne, surrounded by the elders and the living creatures. 
Only the lamb is worthy. The conquering lamb triumphs over death by going to the cross instead of us. He who knew no sin became sin for us and took upon himself our punishment. Only the victorious Christ can open the scroll, the book of life. Only Jesus Christ can come and stand at the very center of that wisdom and power of God to redeem us, the likes of us. And we thank God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, we are forgiven. We are accepted. We are cherished. We are showered with unconditional love. We are wanted at the throne of grace. So imagine God's hand beckoning to you to come, to receive his mercy, to share in the joy that he has with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. And right about here is where Chad would say, so what? Imagine ourselves surrendering all to God. Imagine ourselves submitting to worship only God. And when I say surrender, I'm not saying, okay, fine, God, I give up. And when I say submit, I'm not saying this is a loss, that this is a defeat. Finally, someone has come along who is good and true and worthy. There's not a sense of Jesus somehow beating me into submission, no. It's that I have someone worthy of my worship, worthy of this so that I don't have to fight anymore. I don't have to have my defenses up. I have hope, I have freedom, I have victory. When we see the real truth, when we see as Revelation 4 and 5 show us, we see the one who's worthy. We see the one to whom we want to give in. It's almost childlike. It's almost like a child melting into her loving parent's arms, knowing that from this place, everything is going to be okay. Use your imagination to fall into your heavenly Father's arms, to know that the one who created you keeps you safe from the chaos and the evil in this world, that the one who created you cherishes you. In that surrender, God frees us from our sin. He frees us to truly be image bearers. He frees us to share his kingdom with others, one person at a time. He empowers us and he equips us to each be a disciple making other disciples. You know, imagining makes it easier for our minds to envision success, to see the possibilities open up. So practice that imagining now. Practice surrendering your crown here on earth 
so that when we do go to see that glorious and mighty throne, we're already accustomed to removing our crown and surrendering to our magnificent Lord. When we receive our white robes and our golden crowns, we will be willing to throw the crown at the Lord's feet. Amen. Gracious and mighty God, Holy Father, you are magnificent. You are majestic. Speak to our imagination. Show us in our mind's eye the glory of your throne, the glorious act of our worship. Speak to us here and carry it with us as we leave this place that we would see and feel and hear your throne every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.